Welcome to the Kindreds Podcast. Kindreds is a movement of women who believe that there is more beauty in our sameness than division in our differences. We exist to create spaces of belonging where women of all ages and all life stages can behold God, be loved by others, and believe that we can be a hope bringer to the world. I need you. You need me. We all need God. We are Kindreds. My name is Sarah. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Indian Creek Community Church, and I am so glad that you found your way into this room tonight. Maybe you are new and you say, what is this kindred's deal? In short, we just are becoming a community of women who believes this, that there is more beauty in our sameness than division in our differences. Out there in the world, everybody's trying to divide us woman against woman based on age, class, gender, race, and we're just coming together in unity to say, I need you, you need me, and together we all need God. Does that sound good to anybody else? And so we gather around three things. Number one, we get together to behold God. We just say we want to get in God's presence and grow in our relationship with him because we think he changes our lives. Number two, we want to be loved by each other. We want to come into spaces of community where we have deep friendship. And lastly, we want to believe that we can be a hope bringer to the world, that this message is not just for us, but when we leave these walls, we have a message of good news to give to other people. Does that sound awesome? And so I'm glad that you're here tonight. You are in on the beginning of this journey. This is only the second time that we met. And if you were here last fall, I shared a little bit about high school Sarah. If you missed it, in short, it had something to do with Rachel for Friends haircut, meets vegetarian eating, animal rights activist protester. That was me in high school. But what I didn't tell you is that as a senior in high school, I was actually voted worst driver in my high school class. I even have the yearbook photo to prove it. There I am. There I am, complete in my bootcut jeans, which someone told me tonight are coming back. So if you are done with a decade of skinny jeans, is anybody done with a decade of skinny jeans? Hope is on the horizon, ladies. It's coming your way. The skinny jeans are going to disappear. Maybe we will see. We'll bring them back. But listen, the reason why I was voted worst driver was actually not because I'm a bad driver, I promise. But it was because so often I had the inability to drive because I could never find my car keys. You see, between the ages of 16 and 18, I lost 11, yes, 11 sets of keys to my car. I'm not exaggerating. I would go to track practice and I would set them on the field and then I'd be out there. We didn't have phones back then. So I, flashlights, looking in the grass for where my keys are. I would leave them on piles of clothing in the mall. I would leave them in a purse that I used yesterday that I wasn't going to use today. I could never find my keys and it was a real problem. And so you just need to know this about me. I am a reliable person when it comes to matters of the soul. But when it comes to matters of small things like glasses, phones, keys, wallets, credit cards, I'm not the best. Like, just don't hand me your license and say, watch this for me, because it probably won't be there when you get back. And so I would always show up to things without my small things. For instance, I have actually shown up to the airport, not once, but twice, without my driver's license. I thought I had it. I opened my wallet, and then when I went to the little clear part where it's supposed to be, it was not there. But not once, but twice, they let me on the plane. So now it's not good because I'm not learning responsibility. They didn't slap me on the hand and send me away. They said, it's okay. You can keep losing things and we'll still let you on our airplane. So I'm not learning my lesson. I got married to my husband really young. And so he was very quickly whisked away into my vortex of forgetfulness. 
And so he had to pay the price big time because when I would lose my car keys, he would have to drive at 10 o'clock at night to come pick me up from work. And when I would lose my phone or my wallet, he would have to spend 20 minutes walking around the house trying to help me find it. And I would often make him late for whatever it is that he was going to. On one such occasion, we were living in England and I had lost something important and I was definitely making him late. And I think it was keys, probably keys, my house keys. And he looked at me and he goes, so where are they? And I looked back at him with all sincerity and I just said, they're probably somewhere. And and he looked at me and he goes, what kind of answer is that? They're probably somewhere? I was like, it's an honest one because they are probably somewhere. And so now it's become a joke in our home that whenever anything is missing and somebody asks me where it is, I just go, it's probably somewhere. It's a very truthful statement. So if you are losing things like me, you can adopt that statement. Now listen, I own my weakness. I've had to grow up and be an adult and learn that I can't lose my car keys every day. It's not a good thing. And so I have really tried to work hard on this. And a couple of months ago, my husband Jake was talking to another person and was talking about this period of my life when I used to forget everything because I certainly don't anymore. And I defended myself. And I was like, that was a long time ago. That was young Sarah. This is responsible Sarah. I don't lose things anymore. And he just looked at me and laughed. I think it's the Bible that says that pride comes before a man's fall. It comes before a woman's fall too. And what happened was a couple weeks later, after church, we had some guests in town and we did not have enough room to go in one car. So we decided to go in two. We were in a hurry and I was fumbling through my purse, which contains lots of things. Anybody else? Lots of things in your purse. And he, he just didn't have time for me to look for the keys that were in my purse. He just said, here, take my keys, drive the kids, meet me at the restaurant. So I did. We ate, and when I left the restaurant, I pulled my keys out of my purse, and I drove home. The next day, Jake looks at me, and he goes, hey, can I get my car key? I go, your car what? He's like, my car key I gave you, and I was like, you didn't give me your car key. He goes, yeah, I did, and I thought about it. I was like, oh, yeah, he did, and I was like, hmm, well, I hope it's in my purse. I looked. It wasn't in my purse, so I examined my belongings from the day before, everything that I wore, and I started to panic. I was like, oh man, oh man, oh man. I started to look through the car. I looked in the cup holder. I was peeling up the floorboards, and he comes in, what are you doing? Nothing. I'm doing nothing. I'm cleaning the car for once. That doesn't happen that often. I drive over to the restaurant. I walk around the parking lot, no keys. I go inside. I talk to the employees. I plead, and I beg with them, please tell me you have a Toyota Camry car key in this restaurant. Let me talk to my manager. They talk to the manager. The manager looks in the safe. There is no car key. They are not probably somewhere. They are most certainly nowhere to be found. And so I have to swallow my pride and go back to Jake and be like, hey, you know that conversation you were just having about how you know I lose things? Yeah, so I lost your key, and um, it's not coming back well, did you retrace your steps? Oh yeah, I most certainly did. I retraced every step. That key is gone. We looked for it for a month. And finally we decided, all right, we're just gonna have to spend the money and buy one of those new little remote keys. And they were a lot and he didn't want to, but we finally decided that is what's happening. Until last Thursday night, I'm walking around with some friends. It's a bit breezy outside. I put on a jacket that I have not put on for a while. I put my hands into my pockets and I feel something. One singular black Toyota Camry key just hanging out in my pocket. Yes, the very same pocket of the jacket that I was wearing while I was looking for the key. (laughs) Have you ever gone looking for something that you had the whole time? Anybody else? It happens to us all. But I don't just mean this about glasses and phones and wallets and licenses and keys I wondered about the deeper matters of your soul. 
Have you ever gone looking for something that you had the whole time? I'm talking about the things that the Holy Spirit has already given to you as a gift. He's already deposited on the inside of you. And because of your forgetfulness or busyness or hurry or despair or hurt, you have lost your ability to access what he has given to you. You see, I had that key in my pocket all along. But it did me no good because I didn't have the ability to access it. While I was out in the parking lot, it was with me the whole time. While I was talking to the manager and looking it for him, it was with me the whole time. While I was on my hands and knees in my garage, pulling up the floorboards of my car, it was with me the entire time. And the truth is, this happens to us all the time. I may have had that key in my pocket, but it was no good because I couldn't access what I had. And so I went searching for it. I went searching for it in all the wrong places because this is how joy works. When we think we don't have it, it doesn't mean that we don't stop wanting it. And so we go looking for it everywhere. We go looking for it everywhere in all of the wrong places often. We look for it in people. We think, oh, if I could only just have kids and everything would be better. And then we have kids and we think if only they could be like those kids, then I would be happy and I would find joy. We go looking for it in people, like our relationships with our husband. Oh, if only I could get married, then everything would be good. Now, if only they would stop treating me like this, then everything would be good. And people disappoint us. We go looking for it in circumstances of life. If only this problem that I'm facing right now would go away, then I would find my joy. We go looking for it. We go looking for it in experiences and possessions. If only I could escape and go on a vacation away from all of my stress, then I would find joy. If only I had a bigger shopping budget, honestly, then I would find joy. And the problem is we experience joy in those things for a moment. But that moment is fleeting. It is here today and gone tomorrow. And often what we're left with on the other side of seeking for joy in the wrong places is a greater despair is a greater emptiness, a greater loneliness, a greater anxiety or fear that may even be present. And so we chase after all of these things only for the temporary highs. And when the people hurt us or our circumstances change for the worse or the shininess and newness of the possession wears off, we are back in the same boat. It was Frederick Nietzsche. Maybe you've heard of him. He's a German philosopher, a staunch atheist, who said these words about the Christians that he knew in his life. He said, I would believe in their salvation if they looked a little bit more like people who had been saved. You see, when we go looking for joy in all the wrong places, it doesn't just hurt us, but it hurts the people around us. Maybe people in your life are saying, what's going on? I would believe in this Jesus guy a little bit more if you look like somebody who had actually been saved. If you look like somebody who had some good news to offer and they're looking at us and they're just waiting and they're watching and they're saying, hey, this Jesus that is supposed to be full of joy, is that joy on display in our life? And so I wonder tonight, are you looking for something that you already possess? Because joy is on the inside of you. It is, it's there. And if you're in this room tonight and you're looking for joy, which I think we all are, we are wired to crave it, to want it, to experience it. And if you are a follower of Jesus, which some of us in this room are tonight, then what is true is that joy that you are looking for, maybe in other places, is actually already on the inside of you. Like my key, you are carrying it around in your pocket at this very moment. You see, joy came to you in Jesus and joy fills you. 
If you know the story about when Jesus came to this world, the angels come and they announce his coming with this greeting. They say, I bring you good news of what? Of great joy, which shall be for some people. No, which shall be for all people. I'm coming in joy. And before he leaves and before he ascends, what does Jesus say to his disciples? He says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. I've given you my joy. And he didn't just leave us alone. He ascended to heaven and he gives us the Holy Spirit, not just as a comforter, but he says, when the Holy Spirit is alive on the inside of you, there's going to be some fruit that comes from your life. There's going to be some fruit that overflows out of your life into the lives of other people. And the fruit of the Spirit is joy. You already have it. It's on the inside of you. Jesus came in joy and he departed in joy and he has already given you joy. The Bible says that when we believe in him, when we have a relationship with him, that we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So I wonder for us tonight, are we experiencing joy on that level? Are we experiencing that glorious joy that the Bible says you can have that is so inexpressible you don't even have the words to contain it? You don't even have the heart to contain it. The smile on your face can't be big enough to contain it. The people in your life can't handle it. They're like, down with the joy. Stop with the laughter. Enough with the happiness. I can't contain the joy that's exuding from your life. Is that what we have? I don't know. I don't know if we have that all the time. I know I certainly don't have that all the time. Instead, joy feels like a fight in my life. Feels like something I have to claw for and I have to choose and I have to battle for each and every day because I will always go negative and I will always go bitter and I will always go angry. I will always respond in the exact opposite way that Jesus says that we can actually respond to some of the most difficult things in our life. And what's so hard about this is that there are some things that are at play in your life and they are sneaky. And they don't like to make themselves known. In fact, they like to dress up and mask themselves in a lot of other different things. So you don't know that they are working in your heart and your mind. And they are joy stealers. There are things that are happening in your day-to-day life that are taking away your joy. That are making it so hard for you to access that joy that's right there in your pocket like my key. And I want to talk about what those two things are. And there's many more. But I center on these two. One, because the Bible talks about them. Secondly, because... I've heard you guys talk about them to me. And thirdly, because they're things that I've dealt with in my own past. And I think this is true. I think if we can name it, if we can identify it, in the moments when our joy is about to get robbed and stolen from us, I think we are set up to win in a more effective way. If we can say, oh, no, 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 I see that joy stealer at work in my life, not on my watch, not today, not this time. And the first one is our past. Is your past stealing your ability to experience joy in your present? We're going to open up our Bible tonight to Nehemiah, if you have it. If not, don't even worry about it. It'll be on the screen behind me. But joy being stolen because of past happened to a group of people in the Bible. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible and you don't know the whole storyline, that's okay. Here's all you need to know. There's this group of people called the Israelites. They were God's chosen people. They found themselves in bondage and in slavery, and they cried out, and God sent them a deliverer, and they were miraculously freed and rescued. They wandered in the wilderness for a period of 40 years 
where God provided for them. And he eventually led them to an actual piece of land known as the promised land is what we call it. A place where they could put down roots and settle. A place that was home. A place where they could worship God freely without any other competing gods and other people telling them what to do. A place where they could flourish. And they lived in that land, but eventually they kind of lost their way. They turned their back on God. Have you ever had one of those moments where you needed God to come through and so you threw up a Hail Mary prayer and as soon as everything ended okay, you kind of forgot about God? Or is it just me? In some ways, that's what's happening in this story. They kind of forgot about God and as a consequence to their action, they are taken captive and they are led away from this promised land out into exile where they're living under foreign rulers and leaders, where they don't have the temple where they can freely worship their God any longer and they live in exile. And after 70 years, because God is so faithful to them, a first group of people is allowed to return to the land. Another group of people comes back under Ezra, who was a scribe and a priest, and he began to lead the people to reestablish the land, to reestablish their homes, to reestablish the temple so that they could worship their God once again. But 90 years after this group comes back, a guy named Nehemiah, who's still out in exile, hears about this story. That back, back home, the walls still lay in ruin. Sure, they've rebuilt the temple and everything's good, but the walls that protect the city, they lie in ruin. And when he heard this news, he knew that the city was vulnerable. He knew that they could be attacked again like they were in the past. And it moved him to mourn. It moved him to weep. He went before God in prayer and and he just said, God, what are we going to do about this? And he felt God speak to him and say, you know what? This is yours to do. So he went to the king and he asked for permission. He said, please, can I go back and can I rebuild the walls? Can I make a change there? And he said, sure, you can. He went back and he reestablished the walls in 52 days. Now here is where the story gets good. When this has been completed, the people gather together in the midst of the city. And they are excited. They're gathering together in a form of unity saying, look what has happened. We're back in the land. The temple is here. The walls have been built. This is amazing. And it was supposed to be a cause for celebration. And as a means of celebrating, Ezra the scribe gets up and for the first time in a long time, he begins to open the scriptures and read it out to the people. And they listened. They listened so intently. For six hours, they listened. And they were hungering for the words that they had not heard in so long. This God that they knew about, they get to hear the scriptures. And do you know what happened in their hearts? As they were hearing these words being spoken for six hours, they were reflecting back on their past. And they were remembering how their lives did not match up to what they were hearing. They were remembering the error of their ways. They were remembering their sin and how they turned their back on God. And instead of this being a joyous celebration, they begin to weep. And they begin to mourn. And they begin to cry. And Ezra and Nehemiah are like, what is going on? This is supposed to be a celebration. And now we have all of these people weeping and crying over their past. And so Nehemiah stands up before the people and he says, this day is holy to the Lord our God. Do not mourn or weep. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Instead of mourning, he says, knock it off. Stop. Get up. Go. Enjoy all the best food. Eat the chocolate chip cookies. Have the steak. 
Enjoy the best drinks. Drink the sugary Kool-Aid. Have that smoothie with no vegetables in it. Get your quadruple shot Starbucks. It's okay. It's a party. And what I want you to do is I want you to find all the other people who have no money to get those things. And I want you to share with them so that your joy can beget joy and it can beget joy. And this party spreads throughout all of the people. And so that's what they did. But what's awesome is their rejoicing didn't end there. The next day, they were hungry for more. Read me more. I want to hear more about this God. And so he began to read the scriptures to them. And I don't think this is a coincidence. But at that moment, they began to read about this festival that they were actually supposed to enter into and begin to celebrate at that very moment. If you've attended Indian Creek in the past, Pastor Kyle actually brought it up a couple of weeks ago. And it was a festival of tabernacles the festival of tabernacles. And they said, what is this? This is coming up. We're, we're actually supposed to start this festival right now. Like what's going on? Tell me more about it. And they learned that this festival is a festival that is marked by joy. That is the imperative of this festival. It's joy. And what they did during this festival is they were to reflect back on the 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. And they were supposed to reflect back on God's faithfulness to them, how he provided for them every step of the way. And God is smart. He knows that it's sometimes hard to celebrate things if we can't tangibly do something to celebrate it. And so they were commanded to build these temporary shelters that were reminiscent about how their ancestors lived. You see, as they wandered in the wilderness, they'd set up house, tear it down, and then move. And then set up house, and then tear it down, and then move. And then set up house, and tear it down, and move. Sounds like a miserable existence. And he goes, what I want you to do is I want you to build these shelters. I want you to build them, and I want you to remember my faithfulness to you. Is it coincidence that these people who are gathering together and as they reflect on their past, they are filled with mourning and joy? Is it coincidence that at that very moment, God is saying, no, you're actually supposed to celebrate this particular festival that is marked by joy. Where you look back and you see my faithfulness. How often do we look at our past and we recognize our failures and it brings us to despair? Instead, God is saying, look back at your past and see my faithfulness and let it move you towards joy. That is what God is doing in the people that night. And so they respond. It says in Nehemiah 8, then the whole company had returned from exile and they built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this and their joy was very great. From the days of Joshua, a thousand years ago, They literally partied like it was 1999. They did not party like it was the turn of the year or the decade or the century. They partied like it was the turn of the millennium and their joy was very great. I have to be honest. When I think about my past and I look back on all of my shortcomings and I look back on all my failures And I look at how I let myself down and how I've let God down and how I've let other people down in my life. I'm right there with the Israelites. It brings me to tears. It tries to steal my joy. It makes me want to mourn. But we have the ability to recognize that our past does not dictate our future. We have the call to look at our past and to not see our failures, but to see God's faithfulness in our life. To choose joy and to let that be the defining factor of how we walk into our future. 
I wonder for you tonight, what from your past is stealing your joy in this very moment? Maybe you've walked in here with sin and mistakes and guilt that you carry from your past. And tonight you need to hear you are forgiven. That thing that is going on in your mind over and over and over about how you messed up. If you ask God for forgiveness, he doesn't even remember it anymore. You're free. So experience his joy. Maybe you've walked into this room with regret or disappointment from your past. It hasn't panned out like you wanted it to. You think to yourself, if I only knew then what I know now, I would do things different. You serve a God who is able to restore and redeem things in an instant. Do you believe that? Because if you do, you can walk forward into your future with joy. Maybe your fear is robbing you in your past. You are so worried that whatever happened to you in your past is going to happen again. But the Bible says that God's perfect love casts down all your fear. And so you can walk into your future with joy. If you have walked into this room with deep shame tonight, And you think people would never love me or accept me if they knew who I was or what I did. Can I tell you that your shame does not define you because we all have it. So if you feel that way, then I feel that way. And we're in the same boat together. But Jesus did not just die for your sin. He died for your shame on that cross too. And you are set free. You are loved. And you can walk into your future with joy. The past does not have to define you. So it's okay to mourn, but there has to come a time like the Israelites where our heart turns and we choose joy, where our heart turns and we stop looking at the failure and we start looking at his faithfulness. And for some of you tonight is that night that you need to embrace that because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Anybody hear that before? What does that even mean? I grew up in the Midwest and my grandma has this plot of land out in the middle of nowhere, USA. And on this plot of land is a little tiny hut of a house. Your garage is bigger than it. I promise you, it doesn't even have a shower. It doesn't look appealing. And so when we would stay on that piece of land, we would always camp out in tents. And my cousin and I was probably seven, eight, nine years old. We're sleeping in a tent one night when a massive storm rolled in. Thunder, lightning, kind of like today. You guys battled the storm to get here. Awesome. I have never been so scared. Till a little girl sleeping out in a tent in the midst of a thunderstorm was not happening. And so we grabbed our sleeping bags and we ran into that house and we found so much joy. That house was our, that word strength means stronghold. It means safety. It means refuge. So do you see? The joy of the Lord is like your house. The joy of the Lord is your stronghold. The joy of the Lord is your protection. The joy of the Lord is your safety. The joy of the Lord is your refuge. And if you are running away from joy and you are clinging to despair because you are determined that your past will define your future, you are determined that you cannot be joyful and praise God in all things, then can I tell you that you are running away from the very thing that God has given you as a gift to protect you and to keep you safe for whatever it is he has for you in your future. And so this is not just a gentle pleading to find joy. This is, ladies, be determined to find joy because it's your safety and it's your protection in this life and in every single day hereafter. The second thing that I think steals our joy is our problems. Maybe in this present moment, your problems are stealing your joy. And I have to be honest, I know that some of you have walked in this room tonight with incredibly difficult situations in your life. Decisions and you don't know the answer. Family members who are in pain and you don't know how to help. A diagnosis that feels so great you don't even know what tomorrow holds. 
And I don't want to be insensitive to your problems because I know that they are great. Some of your problems may be so great you've walked in this room tonight and you're just bitter at God. You are bitter and you are angry and you are mad. Why would God, who is supposed to be love, allow this to happen? Whoever that is in this room, I've been praying for you and I just feel like God wants to tell you tonight that he is big enough to absorb your anger and it's okay and he loves you anyways. My kids can get as mad at me as they want and my love for them will remain fierce. They can do whatever they want and I will never stop loving them. God is big enough to absorb your anger and your grief and he loves you anyways. And I hope that you have walked into a room tonight that is also big enough to absorb your anger and your grief and that we respond to you in love because you are loved by this room as well. But regardless of what you're facing, the Bible talks about how we can choose joy in the midst of our trials. In Philippians 4.4, 4, it says this, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Seems insensitive, doesn't it? But you don't know what I'm going through. How am I supposed to rejoice even in the midst of this? Those are empty words to me because it's impossible. But you have to understand when Paul is writing these words, he is not writing them from a comfy living room chair. He is not writing them from a beachfront vacation. He is not writing them around the dinner table surrounded by family and friends. He is writing these words from prison. And not only is he writing these words from prison, but he is writing to the church in Philippi. Do you know what happened in Philippi? Do you know what this church would have seen happen to this man? They would have seen him stand up for his faith. They would have seen him beaten and imprisoned, even though he did nothing wrong. So when the readers of this letter got it, and it says, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say it, rejoice, be filled with joy. They're saying, all right. Maybe I got a fighting shot because the author of this letter, inspired by God, man, I watched him be beat. I watched him be imprisoned for something he didn't do. I watched him walk through the hardest moments of life, and I watched him choose joy. And if he can do it, maybe I can too. You see, when he was thrown in prison, it says this, that about midnight, here's how we responded. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. What did they do in the midst of their worst moment? They choose joy. They said, I'm gonna sing and I'm gonna worship and I'm gonna believe that God will meet me even in the midst of this. Wow. And God worked a miracle. He worked a miracle in their life. If you have a problem today that is making it so that you cannot choose joy, can I tell you, the joy is not found in the absence of your problems. Joy is found in the presence of God right there with you in the midst of your problems. Whatever prison cell you are in today, you're not in that cell alone. God is with you. And I wonder what would happen if in that moment you decided to choose joy. You decided to pray and say, God, I'm with you even in the midst of this. And you are with me even in the midst of this. And I am not alone. I wonder what miracle God has the ability to work in your life because I think that he can. I believe that he can. See, you're not going to get a feeling of joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. When I'm grieving, I don't feel happy. There isn't a smile on my face. I am not laughing. And that's not what the Bible is talking about. Joy is not just a feeling. Joy is an action. 
It's a choice. It's something you do. And I couldn't think of better words to give you tonight to say, well, how do I make that choice? What does that choice look like? Then the author who wrote these words, and her name is Kay Warren, she wrote this definition of joy, and it's the best one I've read. It says, joy is the settled assurance, number one, that God is in control of all the details of my life. Do you believe it? The quiet confidence that ultimately everything's going to be all right. Do you believe it? And the determined choice to praise God in all things. It says, I can choose joy in this moment because God, you are in control. I can choose joy in this moment because I have the confidence that everything will be okay. And even if it's not right now, and even if it's not on this side of eternity, someday it will be. Someday God will wipe away all the tears. Someday he will restore and he will make all things right. One day it will be. And I have joy because I have made the decision that I'll praise God even in the midst of this. And what is so powerful about these words is that two years after she wrote them, she didn't even know, but she'd faced the biggest trial of her life. Her son, who dealt with mental illness his entire life, would take his own life. I don't know about you, but if I penned those words and that happened to me, I would rip up the book and want to burn it. That was my first thought. But when she responded back to, do you stand by those words? Do you stand by this book? She said, you know what? Here's what I believe. I believe that God was having me write these words because he was preparing my heart for what lied ahead. And I didn't even know it, but he was giving me the tools that I needed. So when the biggest storm of my life came, I knew exactly what to do. What faith, what courage, what choice of joy. So my question for us tonight is will we choose joy? Will we be a woman who choose joy? Who maybe tonight realize that I've been looking here and I've been looking there and in that person and in this circumstance and in that to change, to find my joy. But tonight, maybe we just put our hands in our pockets and we realize that the black Toyota Camry key was with us the whole time because God is right there. He has not left us and he has not forsaken us and he's given us the ability to have joy. My prayer for us tonight as women is that we would be like Habakkuk in the Bible who wrote these words, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Even in this, I will rejoice. And can I be really honest? We talked about some big stuff tonight, big things in our past, big problems in our moment, in our present but you know what I think steals our joy the most? It's not those giant problems that are overbearing. Sometimes we can set those aside, but it's the little, petty, everyday, discouraging pieces, discouraging conversations, frustrating moments, same thing that happens to us over and over again. It's those little moments, the little moments where we don't choose joy, where we choose despair, or we choose anxiety, or we choose frustration, or we choose sadness. I think those are the things that eat up in us. And I wonder if we began to choose joy in the tiny little small things. I wonder if we'd be able to choose joy in the big things when the storms hit. This week I decided to try it. I knew that I was getting up here and I was talking to you and I was like, I wonder if there are little things in my life, just little things in my life that I often respond to in a negative manner. 
And I don't even realize that I'm doing it. I'm going to be so aware as I walk through my week every moment that I have a bad attitude, every moment that I get frustrated, every moment that I roll my eyes, every moment that I get frustrated, every moment that I get angry, every moment, everyone. And I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask God to help me choose joy in the moment. And what I found, it was just a bunch of little everyday mundane things that happen. I woke up exhausted on Monday morning and I was tired and I felt like rolling in with a bad attitude. And I thought in that moment, no, no, no. Even though I am tired and I did not sleep last night, I will choose joy because I know that it will affect the temperature of everyone that I meet today. And I don't need a smile, but maybe somebody in my world does. I share my husband with a lot of people. And sometimes when he leaves town to go help another church or go pay a visit to someone else, I have double duty at church, at home, and a lot of different areas. And so sometimes I'm a little cold. I'm like, there you go. And in that moment, I was like, no. Even though I have a little bit extra on my plate for the next 48 hours, I choose joy and I recognize how blessed am I that I have somebody who loves and serves people so well. This week, I wound up in the dentist chair and I hate the dentist and I canceled on him two times, but I finally dragged myself into that chair to get a cavity filled. And in that moment, I wanted nothing to do with it. Why do I have to be here? Why do I have to have bad teeth? Genetics, nobody else has to do this. I always have a cavity. As sure as the sun will rise, I'm gonna have a cavity. And in that dentist chair, I was like, no, even though I'm here to get a cavity filled, I'm gonna choose joy because at least I have the ability to get this rectified and I'm not gonna be in pain for the next five years like so many people around the world. I sat in a hospital on Tuesday with my daughter who was having a procedure done and I was anxious. I was anxious about what was happening and her going under anesthesia. And instead of responding in anxiety and fear, I stopped and said, no, I have confidence in you, God. That's joy, it's confidence in God. And I choose joy because I right now have people interceding for her and I have the best doctors with her and I get to take her to a doctor. I was in my kitchen cooking dinner and I hate to cook dinner. If you know me, you know this. Like I, I think I mention it every day. I'm gonna stop. Choosing joy, I'm gonna stop voting. And, and I hate doing laundry and I found myself over the stove again cooking all I can muster up, which was frozen chicken nuggets and frozen broccoli, which is not very good. But I, I like make a healthy smoothie on the side so I feel better about myself. And in that moment, I was like, even though I'm making my millionth meal and I will have to make another one tomorrow, I'm choosing joy in this moment. I'm gonna put a smile on my face and some good music and hang out with my kids in the kitchen because I get to feed them today. And so many mamas around the world don't get to feed their kids today. And so I'm choosing joy in this moment. It's the little things, ladies. So what are the little things in your life this week where you like Habakkuk say, even if this, I will rejoice. Even in this that I hate, I will take joy. That is our task this week. And I think what will happen is that our heart will begin to change. I think our expectancy about our future will begin to change. I think the way that we see things will begin to change. I think our hearts will lift, our countenance will change, and we'll actually see God work and move in our lives in a way that he hasn't before. That's what I think will happen. And that is my prayer for you tonight. As we close this out, I'm aware that maybe not all of us have that key in our pocket. You say, Sarah, you've talked to me about joy filling my life because I'm in a relationship with Jesus, but I'm not. I'm actually far from him. Maybe you're that individual who's mad at him and that's okay. But tonight, we're not gonna leave this room until I give you the opportunity to simply make your peace with God. You see, God loves you deeply. 
20 years ago, almost to this day, I prayed a prayer. I'm about to ask you to pray in a moment. And I said, God, I surrender and I give you my life. And my life has never been changed more than it has in the past 20 years. Each and every day, God has shown up in incredible ways in my life. And I am not the same. And I want that joy to be yours tonight. I don't want you to walk out of this room and go through the rest of your life chasing after everything you can find to give you a superficial joy. I want to introduce you to the source of joy. And his name is Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with a friend and be sure to follow us on Instagram at We Are Kindreds and wearekindreds.com.